unexpectedly startled by the apparition of Mr. Bumble, the beadle, striving to undo the wicket of the garden gate. "'Good gracious, is that you, Mr. Bumble, sir?' said Mrs. Mann, thrusting her head out of the window. "'Susan, take Oliver and them two brats upstairs and wash them directly.' Now, Mr. Bumble was a fat man and a choleric. He gave the wicket a tremendous shake. "'Law, only think of that,' said Mrs. Mann, running out, "'that I should have forgotten that the gate was bolted on the inside.' "'Well, Mrs. Mann, lead the way in, for I come on business.' Mrs. Mann ushered the beadle into a small parlour. "'Now, about the business,' said the beadle, "'the child that was half-baptised Oliver Twist is nine year old today. "'We have never been able to discover who is his father "'or what was his mother's settlement, name or condition. "'Well,' Oliver, being now too old to remain here, the board have determined to have him back in the house. I've come out myself to take him there, so let me see him at once. I'll fetch him directly, said Mrs. Mann. Oliver was led into the room by his benevolent protectress, and taken away by Mr. Bumble from the wretched home where one kind word or look had never lighted the gloom of his infant years. Oliver had not been within the walls of the workhouse a quarter of an hour when Mr. Bumble informed him that the board said he was to appear before it forthwith, and, bidding him to follow, conducted him to a large room where eight or ten fat gentlemen were sitting round a table. At the top of the table, seated in an armchair rather higher than the rest, was a particularly fat gentleman with a round red face. "'Boy,' said the gentleman in the high chair, "'You know you've got no father or mother. "'You were brought up by the parish, don't you?' "'Yes, sir,' replied Oliver. "'Well, you've come here to be educated "'and taught a useful trade. "'So you'll begin to pick oakum tomorrow morning at six o'clock,' "'added a surly gentleman in a white waistcoat. "'For the combination of both these blessings "'in the one simple process of picking oakum, "'Oliver bowed low by the direction of the beadle, "'then hurried to a large ward.' where, on a rough, hard bed, he sobbed himself to sleep. The room in which the boys were fed was a large stone hall, with a copper at one end, out of which the master ladled gruel at mealtimes. Each boy had one porringer and no more. Oliver Twist and his companions suffered the tortures of slow starvation for three months. At last they got so voracious and wild with hunger that a council was held. Lots were cast who should walk up to the master after supper that evening and ask for more, and it fell to Oliver Twist. The evening arrived, the boys took their places, the master stationed himself at the copper, the gruel was served out, and a long grace was said over short commons. The gruel disappeared, the boys whispered to each other and winked at Oliver. Child as he was, he was desperate with hunger and reckless with misery. He rose from the table, and advancing to the master, basin and spoon in hand, said, somewhat alarmed at his own temerity, "'Please, sir, I want some more.' The master was a fat, healthy man, but he turned very pale. He gazed in stupefied astonishment on the small rebel for some seconds, and then clung for support to the copper. "'What?' said the master at length. "'Please, sir,' replied Oliver, "'I want some more.' The master aimed a blow at Oliver's head with the ladle, pinioned him in his arms, and shrieked for the beadle. 
The board was sitting in solemn conclave when Mr. Bumble rushed into the room in great excitement and said, Mr. Lincolns, I beg your pardon, sir. Oliver Twist has asked for more. For more? said Mr. Limkins. Compose yourself, Bumble, and answer me distinctly. Do I understand that he asked for more after he had eaten the supper allotted by the dietary? He did, sir, replied Bumble. An animated discussion took place. Oliver was ordered into instant confinement, and a bill was next morning pasted on the outside of the gate. Five pounds and Oliver Twist were offered to any man or woman who wanted an apprentice to any trade business or calling. For a week after the commission of the impious and profane offence of asking for more, Oliver remained a close prisoner in the dark and solitary room to which he had been consigned by the board. Mr. Bumble had been dispatched to make preliminary inquiries with the view to finding some captain or other who wanted a cabin boy, and was returning to the workhouse when he encountered at the gate no less a person than Mr. Sowerberry, the parochial undertaker. Mr. Sowerberry's face betokened inward pleasantry as he advanced to Mr. Bumble and shook him by the hand. "'I have taken the measure of the two women who died last night,' said the undertaker. "'You'll make your fortune, Mr. Sowerberry,' said the beadle. "'By the by, you don't know anybody who wants a boy, do you? Liberal terms?' As Mr. Bumble spoke, he raised his cane to the bill above him and gave a rap on the words, five pounds.' Get so, said the undertaker. That's just the very thing I wanted to speak to you about. Mr. Bumble grasped the undertaker by the arm and led him into the building. Mr. Sowerberry was closeted with the board for five minutes, and it was arranged that Oliver should go with him that evening. When little Oliver was taken before the gentleman and informed he was to go that night as a general house lad to a coffin maker's, he heard the news of his destination in perfect silence, and was led away by the beadle to a new scene of suffering. The undertaker had just put up the shutters of his shop when Mr. Bumble entered. "'Oh, that's the boy, is it?' said the undertaker. "'Mrs. Sowerberry, will you have the goodness to come here, my dear?' Mrs. Sowerberry emerged from a little room behind the shop. "'My dear,' said Mr. Sowerberry, "'this is the boy from the workhouse that I told you of.' "'He's very small,' said the undertaker's wife. "'He is rather small,' replied Mr. Bumble. "'But he'll grow, Mrs. Sowerberry.' "'I'll guess how he will, on our victuals and drink. "'There, get downstairs, little bag of bones.' "'With this, the undertaker's wife opened a side door "'and pushed Oliver down a flight of stairs into a stone cell, "'wherein sat a slatternly girl. "'Here, Charlotte!' said Mrs. Sowerberry. Give this boy some of the coal bits that were put out for the dog. I dare say the boy isn't too dainty to eat them. Are you, boy? Oliver replied in the negative, and a plateful of coarse broken victuals was set before him. Well, said the undertaker's wife when Oliver had finished his supper. Have you done? Oliver replied in the affirmative. Then come with me, said Mrs. Sowerberry, leading the way upstairs. Your bed is under the counter. Oliver, being left to himself in the undertaker's shop, gazed timidly about him with a feeling of awe and dread. The recess beneath the counter looked like a grave. He wished, as he crept into his narrow bed, that that were his coffin, and that he could be laid in a calm and lasting sleep in the churchyard ground. 
Oliver was awakened in the morning by a loud kicking at the outside of the shop door. Open the door, will ya? cried a voice. I will directly, sir, replied Oliver. He drew back the bolts and opened the door. Oliver glanced up and down the street, but nobody did he see but a big charity boy sitting on a post in front of the house. I beg your pardon, sir, said Oliver. Did you knock? You don't know who I am, I suppose, workass, said the charity boy. No, sir, rejoined Oliver. I'm Mr. Noah Claypole, said the charity boy, and you're under me. Take down the shutters, you idle young ruffian. With this, Mr. Claypole administered a kick to Oliver and entered the shop. Noah was a charity boy, but not a workhouse orphan. The shop boys had long been in the habit of branding Noah leathers, charity and the like, and Noah had borne it without reply. But now that fortune had cast in his way a nameless orphan, he retorted on him with interest. The month's trial over, Oliver was formally apprenticed. For many months he continued meekly to submit to the domination and ill-treatment of Noah Claypole. Charlotte treated him ill because Noah did, and Mrs. Sowerbury was his decided enemy. One day Oliver and Noah had descended into the kitchen at the usual dinner hour, when Charlotte being called out, there ensued a brief interval of time, which Noah Claypole considered he could not possibly devote to a worthier purpose than aggravating young Oliver Twist. Work us, said Noah. As your mother. She's dead, replied Oliver. What did she die of, work us? said Noah. Of a broken heart, some of our old nurses told me, replied Oliver. You know, work us, continued Noah. Your mother was a regular right-down bad'un. What did you say? inquired Oliver, looking up very quickly.